Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. I have met so many amazing, amazing women through this podcast, and this is only episode 12. Y'all, just get ready to meet Mary. Mary is a published author, but she is also the mom of two amazing children, one of which who passed away several years ago due to her profound medical and special needs. Mary is a faithful, devoted Christian, and in this episode, she she takes us to church, y'all. She reminds us how our faith can anchor us in the dark nights and the long days, and I felt so uplifted after our conversation that I just can't wait for you guys to meet Mary today. We are welcoming Mary Lennenberg today. She is going to just blow you out of the water. Um, She has two beautiful kids. No pressure. And a husband. (laughs) I told you, you Diane's fangirling through this entire interview. I am. It is just like the best. You guys, you are going to be so excited to hear her. So Mary, um, tell us a little bit about your family. Um, well, first of all, hi guys. It's so <laughs> wonderful to be with you. Um, tell you about my family. So I have been married for 32 years to my one and only blind date. And he wasn't my blind date. It was my girlfriend's blind date, but it's all good. We're good. You know, all these years <laughs> later, God is good. Um, and God blessed us with four souls. So two, we lost to miscarriage. And then our son, Jonathan, is 31 years old. I really am the ancient of days. He's 31, <laughs> recently engaged, getting excited. Uh, he's getting married in the fall. Very excited about that. That is an answer to a 20-year-old prayer. So that's good. God is faithful. Um, and then our daughter, Courtney, um, was born with um, was born perfectly fine. And then at the age of five weeks old, she began to have grandma seizures, unexplained grandma seizures. And she was with us. We had the great privilege of loving her this side of heaven for 22 years. And so Courtney, um, you know, it sounds very daunting, but Courtney was a fiery, spicy little pickle. We called her pickle because she could be sweet pickle or she could be a sour pickle. (laughs) And even though she never spoke, she was nonverbal, non-ambulatory, had a feeding tube, um, had to do suctioning, Um, she would have a grandma seizure and stop breathing for, you know, 30, 45 seconds. She loved to keep us on our toes with that. Even though all of these negative things were happening to her body, 
she was pure love. She was the center of our home. She was the heart of our home. We called her our sunshine. And um, she has been home with God now for six years, and we miss her desperately every single day. But she just continues to love us from heaven and uh, takes very, very good care of us. But yeah, she was a determined, strong-willed young woman who had a job to do this side of heaven. And that was to receive love and to give it. That was her one job. And I like to say that she mirrors um, she mirrors our relationship with the Father as a Christian. I believe, you know, that God loves us and He gives us people that draw us to Him. Um, sometimes we don't see that always in those relationships, but they, they bring us closer to Him. And that's what she did. She showed us the face of Christ and how to love and how to love with our whole lives. Uh, literally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So, um, yeah, Courtney Elizabeth Scholastica Lenneberg. It's quite a moniker. <laughs> okay, so okay. Let me I'm already ask. crying. Can I just I, can I just throw that out there? Diane, you're done. You're done. I want to ask, as a mom who already chatted with you for ten minutes, you are extremely positive and hopeful, and that's what we are all about here at When Autumn Comes. But were you always like this? Oh, I'm snarky as hell. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, I, you know, was I always positive? Uh, Well, yes, I tend toward positivity in my personality, right? Um, Was I always positive around uh, raising and caring for a special needs child? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I spent probably the first seven years of Courtney's life trying to fix a problem. Mm-hmm. relying on myself and relying on um, physicians and therapists and geneticists and all the ists, right? Relying on them to tell me how to fix it. And here's the thing about having my experience of having a profoundly medically fragile special needs child. There's two different things. There's medically fragile, and then there's that special needs component when they're blind and, and they're developing mentally delayed. And, you know, some people have one, some people have the other. I was blessed with both. And I'm so blessed with both times two. There you go. See, <laughs> yeah. and in, in my house, our son is a certified genius, like has a piece of paper. Now, he has a piece of paper. He has a piece of paper. He wraps himself around the tree sometimes with common sense, but whatever. I was going to say, does that? And then I had Courtney who couldn't talk to me. And I'm standing in the middle and, you know, I'm feeling completely unqualified to deal with either one. Mm -hmm. And yet I had both. I had extremes in my house. So I had to feed the need of, of one who was so advanced, we ended up homeschooling. And then because his sister needed so much time and attention to keep her alive, he had the trauma of being ignored. Mm -hmm. And, and so we had, you know, that came up later in life. We had to deal with that, but how do I maintain my joy? I had to learn how to love and let go. I had to learn how to surrender my child every single day when she would have a seizure and we would start to see it. Her arms would come up like uh, there's that uh, the Karate Kid move where the leg goes up and the hands come up. Courtney's hands would come up and her whole body would begin to curl in and she'd begin that gurgling and the eyes would roll back and the entire body would pulsate to the point where her wheelchair would rock. Mm-hmm. I'm violent. Mm-hmm. And I would simply get right up next to her ear and I would say, it's okay. I love you. I'm with you. We're going to be okay. 
And if you need to go to Jesus, it's okay. Mommy loves you. You just walk right to him. Mm -hmm. It's okay. I said that 15 times, 20 times a day for 22 years. Yeah. And when you are able to surrender your child, because they don't belong to us, they're not ours, they're his. And and we get to love them for a little bit of time and they get to come and they get to teach us all of these things. And now that she's gone and I can't hold her in my arms and I can't hear her smile or or her laughter. I mean, she had this trucker's laughter that would just be like, like it took over the room and you would, she would laugh and everybody would come running. Like you would just be like, let's just watch her laugh. Let's just hold her. Let's just take it in because we knew we knew we wouldn't have it forever. Yeah. And so screw the rest of the world. I, I, I quit my job. I, we lived on ramen and mac and cheese and every resource we had was poured into creating a life that sustained her for as long as we could sustain her. And so the joy comes from a place of on that day when I held my daughter which was an answer to prayer. My prayer all along was two things that I would hear her authentic voice, which we believe we had that experience of hearing her say to us, I love you. I know what my job is. I got you. Right. We had this experience. And then the second prayer was when the time comes, the time is short. Don't let me miss it. Yeah. Please God make it so big. And so like, you cannot miss it. Like Mary, pay attention. She has three months left on this earth. Pay attention. She has one year left on this earth. And we knew it. We saw it coming. We saw it coming a good three or four years before it actually arrived. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to adjust, make that adjustment, make that, you know, change in our schedules and in our plans and what we did to the, you know, all the things you do. And um, we started palliative care three years before she died. And then three months before she died was the big twist. And that's when we were at an emergency room and I never had to sign a DNR before. Never had to do it. And so I, I remember it was three o'clock in the morning, hour of divine mercy as a Catholic and uh, this poor resident, God bless him. I'll never forget his face. He looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and he's toward me, and his he's just downcast, like and and his hands are shaking, and I'm thinking, and God just told he just told like I knew I'm like oh here we go we have to have the conversation, and he walked toward me and he said my resident is coming, you know I'm a third year whatever medical student in the rotation of the ER and he's like I've never had to have this conversation. And I just smiled, I don't know, and I took his hand, which of course now would probably be illegal, but I took his hand <laughs> and I was like, okay, bud, I said, let's do this together. I've never it's done gonna this It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I was a mom. Like, it's yeah. going to be okay. You're going to have to do this a lot. So you're going to have to build up this, um, this bravery and this courage to be able to empathetically enter into this conversation with other parents and caregivers. So how about you always remember this moment? Remember that I'm not angry at you, but I may yell at you because you're the face I see. Remember that I don't hold it against you, that you're bringing this to me. 
You know, I'm never, I, I, I can see his face. I don't remember his name and I pray for him all the time. I hope he's a great doctor. I hope that moment changed something for him. And I said, now let's just walk through it. I said, pretend I'm in third grade and I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Walk me through it slowly and carefully. And he did. And he's wiping away tears. And I'm like patting him on the back. And I'm looking <laughs> at Courtney and she's unconscious at the moment. She's sound asleep. She's had all these seizures. You know, she's got the IV and all the bleeping and blopping. And you're just like, it's okay, buddy. We're going to be okay. And then he just handed me this piece of paper and he goes, you realize when you sign this piece of paper, if she has another seizure and her heart stops, she's, she's, we're done. And I said, I realize that because we came to the point where resuscitation was more harmful than letting her go. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that was a big moment for me that I wanted to keep her. But she wasn't mine to keep. And my wanting to keep her only prolonged her suffering. And so out of love for her and the wholeness and fullness and dignity of her personhood, I had to stop being selfish. And I had to say, all right, here we are. And so I signed that sucker. And then we took her home. And for three months, we shared every step of the way online. We built this beautiful community of of support. Um, She lost so much weight because she was having trouble metabolizing her food. You know, we left the hospital on a G-tube diet and went by the time she was two weeks from death was on a micro preemie, you know, formula because she just couldn't. She was done. Her, Her liver was done. Her kidneys were done. Her digestive tract was a mess. She just... Can I interrupt real quick? I don't think we actually said Courtney doesn't have an official disease or diagnosis, correct? No, her diagnosis, this is this is the beauty of Courtney. This is God's joke on Mary. Mary needs answers to questions. I need to know the why, right? Always needed to know the why. So what does God do? He gives me a child where her official diagnosis from the best neurologists in the world, like the world, is seizure disorder origin unknown. Wow. <laughs> if you could see her face right now. <laughs> wow. I'm so impressed with your five PhDs. That's spectacular. <laughs> origin unknown. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, Mary, in medical terms, that means we have no freaking clue. <laughs> it means we don't really know. No, we don't know anything. Like her, there was no focal point to her seizure, her entire brain. It's amazing to watch, to watch it on an E. Her whole brain seized at the same time. Both hemispheres. Like, that's, that's yeah. intense. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind it's of like the is. genius of the other side, right? Like, yes. <laughs> you know, it wasn't on one side. Everybody was like, well, Mary, can't you do this or can't you do that? And I'm like, people. I'm doing all the things. And you have to remember, <laughs> this is 28 years ago. Medical technology is not what it is now. We didn't have GoFundMe. We didn't have CaringBridge. We didn't have any of that. I, I am dyslexic. So what does God do? He gives me a child with a neurological disorder. And I couldn't even spell neurology. <laughs> the E and the U always get me messed up. And then you throw the O in there and come on. Too many vowels. Too many. Too much thing. Game over. Game over. And so my dad went to the borders and bought a medical dictionary, which 
I don't even think we have. I think I burned it in the in the fire pit after she died, just on purpose. And it's very cathartic for me. <laughs> and I had to like research things. You had to go to the medical library mm. of the hospital to read books and to look things up. And we we didn't have WebMD. Praise God, we didn't because I would have been a psychopath. But we didn't have that at the time. It came later. I um, mean, by then I had calmed down, and by I was then you had written all of WebMD. By then I was like, oh, you know, other, other young moms would come to me like, what do I do? I'm like, oh, okay, take a breath. Yeah. Take a breath. You're going to be fine. Here's the specialist you go see. You ask this question. You ask that question. We'll figure it out. Come back to me when we're done and we'll figure out how to feed them. We'll figure out, you know, what, who you need to go to and where you need to go. I mean, that's what it became later, which I'm so grateful for that I was able to pass that on. And, and, and now it's more emotional support. It's more, it's certainly not on the medical level because, it's, it's changed so much, but, um, yeah, I, it was all about surrender. It's about surrender every single day and, and not even every single day, every single surgery and surgery. Listen to me. She did have surgery four times, but every single seizure yeah. she had, I had to surrender her because I yeah. didn't know if it was the last one. That's where we're at right now. And it's, it's one of those every single night, like, we, we've been told, put Lorelai on her pulse ox at night. We, we used to only do it when she was sick. And, um, when we were discharged from the ICU a couple weeks ago, they said, put her on her pulse ox every night. And I was like, okay. Um, and she's like, the reason is so that you don't find her gone in the morning. You have warning then. And so every night, you know, I put her to bed and I surrender and I, I, you know, say our prayers and trust that whatever happens, happens. Um, doesn't See, necessarily make it easier. Be, no, it doesn't make anything easier. Absolutely not. It's pure hell. You are now walking your own uh, Via Dolorosa. You are now walking your own passion. This is the hardest part. This is the hardest part. Um, when you go into a palliative care appointment and you're looking at this room of compassionate people who are all trying not to pity you and they're trying not to cry and they're trying to be hopeful and say that you have choices here and you have ways of doing it. What nobody will talk about is what happens the moment they take their last breath. Nobody talks about that moment. Mm -hmm. It crushes you in a way that only I can tell you of my experience it will not be your experience mm -hmm. because she's not my child. She's your child. Yeah. And you know what you've poured into her and you know, the capacity of your love for her. You know, I respect her as a beautiful child of God and I love you as her mother, but you're her mama. You carried her for nine months. You have held her in the ICU. You have been there when they've come and they've said, she's going to die. She will not outlive you. And now put on the pulse socks. What I would be doing is sleeping in her bed every night. Oh, with her. I am. I am. Every night with her. Because you know what? And, and that's not a judgment on anybody that cannot do that. It's not a judgment. But for me to have that body close to me, mm -hmm. Courtney would spend every picture you see of me and Courtney, typically her head is right on my chest. Because the most comfortable place for her, all curled up in her five foot eight string bean of a body, was listening to my heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Just like a baby. And so that's what we did. We're going to take a quick Zach Morris style timeout. 
Are you a mama who is a medical mom, a hospital mom, or a special needs mom? Whatever label you use, we're all in this together. And we have a community called the 4AM Mom Club. Because let's be real, we're all awake all night worrying about our kids. But sometimes we all need to get together and support each other, laugh together, cry together, drink wine together. I don't know, talk about organizing our house together, things like that. Join our club. We're really cool. We have a lot of really cool moms. I I don't know what else to tell you. You got to join our club. So go to www.whenautumncomes.com. And at the very top, you'll see something called the 4AM Mom Club. Click on that, fill out the form and join us. It is a $20 joining fee that we're waiving until March, which is pretty cool. But the fee, get this, the fee goes directly back to the moms. We're using this fee to help other moms when they are struggling or they need that extra boost or their kids have a transplant coming or they just are stuck in a hospital indefinitely and they need a meal that is not hospital food. We've all been there. We get it. So we're here. Let's join the club. Come on, guys. Join the club. Have fun with us. Join the club. Zach Morris style time in. Can I go back to when you said when you're in, in an experience like that, you are walking the passion. I know I listened to you speak about redemptive suffering. Can you explain to our listeners, like what we as Christians, what the meaning of that is and how that relates to us having kids with special needs or medical complexities? It is, I think, the greatest gift the church ever gave a special needs mom. <laughs> what redemptive suffering is, it's it's the idea of offering something up for another. Okay? So the definition of love is to put the needs of another above your own. Redemptive suffering is putting your suffering into the hands of another for another. So it's a concept that it doesn't, God does not waste these hard things. He takes this beautiful gift and he hands, what he's doing is he's handing you one splinter of the cross, a splinter of the cross for you to carry and for him to walk beside you. So you imagine that you're Simon of Cyrene in the, in this, the scene of the passion, He's pulled out of the crowd. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't know this guy. He just sees the suffering. And they pull him in. And what does he have to do? He has to carry that cross for a little bit of time. That's what redemptive suffering is. We are asked to carry a cross. And so in that, our holy imagination, what we do is we put a name to it. I am offering this suffering that I'm feeling, this hardship that I'm feeling, this physical pain that I'm feeling, this heart pain that I'm feeling, I'm going to offer it up for Tom because he's in his fourth course of chemotherapy and he needs some love and support. And so for Tom, I'm going to remain in this moment and I'm going to offer this gift to him. Right? So it kind of takes the focus off yourself. It takes the focus completely off yourself. It also makes it bearable. Think of labor. We're in labor. We're feeling these pain. I mean, like, you know, your body's being ripped in half with pain, right? Because you're birthing a child. You think of that labor. What happens at the end of the labor? Hopefully, praise God, there's there's a baby in your arms. I'm not even going to say a healthy baby. There's a baby in your arms. There's a gift. You are willing to bear the pain because there's a gift. And you get to name that gift. That's the idea of redemptive suffering. You are willing to bear the pain, not for yourself, because we don't feel worthy of that. We don't know how to 
put that in that box, but I'm willing to bear it for another. It's what we do as mothers. You have to remember our bodies are made by God to shelter another soul. We are physically made to love and nurture another human human being. And so this is how we are mothers in the spiritual nature, that we take that soul and we nurture that soul and we offer our hardship so that maybe theirs is a little less. And I remember time and time again, I said to God, let, let Courtney be the special needs child in our family. My brothers weren't married at the time that Courtney was born. Let me be the one to bear it, Lord. Let me be the one to bear it. I can do this. Let me do it. And for many years, it was that way. And then um, my brother, one of my brothers had uh, my nephew, and I have now four nephews that have autism of varying degrees. And I have one in particular that will never be able to live on his own. And I got mad at God when he was born. I'm like, dang it, I told you I was the one, like I'm the girl. And he simply spoke to my heart and said, no, you're the one to lead them. You have to show them how to do this. They need to do this for reasons I don't need to tell you. Mm-hmm. But you better show them how to love your child with your whole life, your physical life, your mental, your spiritual, your emotional life. Because like I said, on that day, on December 27th at 1.51 a.m. in the morning when she took her last breath, I knew without a doubt that we had left everything on the playing field. There was nothing else we could do. We had sought out every medical opinion, every uh, palliative care option, hospice. We created our own hospice program because there wasn't one available to us. Um, We had done everything. And it was simply God saying, it's time for her to come home. She has taught you what she needs to teach you. She has completed her mission. And now she's going to help you from behind the veil. And that is just, it's the same feelings as labor. You're going through an awful lot of pain to birth the future, the eternal future of your child, who is a saint with a small s. And in the Catholic Church, we believe that saints go straight to heaven. There's no ifs, nans, or buts. She went, I knew on that day, as I have said many, many times, it was the best day of my life and the worst day of my life. It was the worst day of my life because I would never hear her laughter. I would never see her smile. I would never feel the weight of her on my chest. I would never be able to hold her. We'd never be able to do, to read the books and do the things, right? And that crushed me. But at the same time, I knew that my cortically blind child, who had not seen my face since she was seven months old, when she lost her sight, when she opened her eyes in heaven, she was going to see her beloved, the one that she had suffered so beautifully for, the one that saw her life in complete perfection. There was never a mistake with Courtney. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't give us mistakes. These children are us turned inside out. We spend our lives trying to hide everything that's wrong with us. They don't have a choice. It's all there. Boom. There it is. Can't hide it. So therefore, we love them because they're not hiding it. It's right there. We care for them in a very, very particular and special way. And I knew that she was running right to him. I mean, leaping into his arms. Like, we did it. I did it. We did it. I'm here. I finished it. And I did it for you because you believed in me and you gave me to them. And so here we are six years 
after letting her go. Why did we get 22 years? I don't know. That's God's to know. But I, I cherish every second of every single year, even the really sucky ones. I cherish them mm-hmm. because God gave me the privilege of loving these two souls. He gave me the gift of loving them. And now, you know, she works from heaven. She brought her, her brother, his fiance. She literally brought him his future wife. I heard you talking about that story somewhere else. And I was going to say, when we wrap this up, if you are willing to join us for a quick 10-minute 4 a.m. mom club, I would That's love for you to share that story. It's amazing. It's, it's so amazing. Okay, so we'll get back to that. Yes. One of the things I wanted to ask you um, or talk about, since we are the 4 a.m. mom club is what we've named ourselves because we're just so cool we name ourselves. We both struggle because our kids don't sleep mm-hmm. and nights are hard and everybody's tired and and lonely lonely yeah. tired and just like frustrated I don't think there's an adjective for the ugh that yeah. you feel the heaviness that you feel at night when you're just praying that your child would find some sense of comfort but also that she'll just close her mm, eyes and go the mm, to sleep and I know that you have said nights were hard Oh my gosh. Nights were hell. Not hard. They were hell. Let's just call it what it is. My prayer. It's interesting. When I wrote my first book, Be Brave and the Scared, it comes from my dad. My dad used to say, you only have to be brave one breath at a time. One breath at a time. And breath was very important in our house because Courtney would stop breathing during seizures. And so I remember when when I, I used to say that all the time. And so I didn't name that book. My publishing company did because they kept listening to me say this and I named it something else. And they were like, no, no, I think it should be this. But when I got the cover of that book in the mail, like the marketing department does their thing and it just shows up in your email one day and you're like, oh, the cover of that book is what we call the the light of dawn. Okay. So it's the first light of the day when you can still see the moon and the stars and the very beginnings of a new day is coming. And I remember looking at that cover thinking, oh, that's pretty. I was a little confused as to what, you know, where they got be brave and the scared with that. And then I I looked above my computer, right? So my email was there. I looked up and there was a picture of my daughter because she's in, she's everywhere in our house. And I thought, and I just kind of had this moment. I thought, oh, Courtney, what have you done? Um, it's the break of dawn and my prayer every single night, every single night, especially when she hit puberty and hormones were involved and it got so much worse was Lord, let us make it to the morning. Can you just let her make it to the morning over and over and over and over again? And there was that cover, the first light of day and the words, be brave and the scared because we're all scared. Nobody wants their child to die. And when you have a diagnosis that is terminal from the beginning, and you just don't know the timing of it, there comes a moment or 20 million of them where it's like a little death. I had to grieve my daughter's life while she was still living. Yes. And that was a gift to me. 
I didn't deny her death for one day. Mm-hmm. I didn't deny the hardship of caring for her. I didn't deny the dignity that she deserved as a child of God. Um, and I grieved. I grieved those first steps she never took. I grieved uh, the fact that there was no father-daughter dances. I grieved the fact she would never get married. She would never have kids. She would never date, although my husband was totally fine with that part. You know, <laughs> he was like, that's fine with me. We're no, no problem there. I grieved the relationship that she could have had with her brother. You know, I ended my ability to have other children when Courtney was born, not, and that was before Courtney ever had any seizures. So it was based on other fear. And so there were no more children after Courtney and there came your son is the older, uh, my son is the older by three years. So about when Courtney was about two years old, she was stabilized for a time. And I looked at Jerry and I was like, we, we should have had more kids. You know, we should have had more kids. And then, but we couldn't, we just couldn't get over that hump. And I got to tell you, on the day Courtney was buried, I have a vision in my head of her brother with his hand on that casket. And he was all by himself. And there was nobody there to hold his hand. Nobody understood. He had to hold that. And that was the decision we made. And so I had to work through that guilt. I had to grieve that choice. I had to talk with him. And we had to come to a place of peace. Because what are the typical siblings go through when they have a, a, a brother or sister with special needs? how their lives are affected. I mean, praise God with empathy and with joy, but not always. That's not how it always was. But you have to grieve all of those things. And then you have to create a community of moms like you guys have done with the 4AM Club. It's beautiful. I wish it existed 28 years ago because, boy, I would have been the leader. You know, I would have been the head cheerleader because at night when you're, when you're trying to, I mean, so many of us, our marriages have broken, you know, 80%, I think it's now 82% of all marriages with special needs kids end in divorce because one or the other is unable to lift that cross. It's a huge number. And I've, I've said to my, like, I'm five years into this and in the NICU, I met a ton of families and connected with a ton of moms. And if you had the slightest crack before this, you have the Grand Canyon now, you know, and it's hard. It is so hard. Courtney was our, she was our earthquake. And at about year five, everything imploded in our marriage and in our personal lives and our personal journey. And we had our faith and praise God, we had our faith. And we had two strong families that were fighting for us, our parents on either side. Um, who didn't understand our journey because neither one of them had had a special needs child, but they knew hard things. They had experienced hardship. And so therefore they had come through it themselves. And we were determined because we we're kind of type A that we were not going to be the first divorce in our family. And however many <laughs> generations, like that was not going to be our moniker. It was not going to be our tag, you know? And so we had to do the hard work, but you couldn't, we couldn't do the hard work in public. All of this was done behind the, the, the scenes. Nobody had a clue. When I wrote that book and I sent it out in the world, my email imploded because people were like, why didn't you tell us? And I'm thinking, because you weren't available to me. And I knew you weren't. And it wasn't yours to carry. It was mine to carry and Jerry's to carry and us to figure out. And it was between us and God. 
And I needed you to not know so that you didn't treat me differently. You didn't, you didn't, you know, come in with your pity. You didn't, which is, is it just a beautiful sign of empathy? And I understand that, but it's, I don't need to worry about anybody else but Courtney and Jonathan and Jerry. So I was listening to you on another um, podcast and you were talking about your passion for leaving the door open. Like it's our job to love and to leave the door open and minister to others. And can you speak to, you know, being on that side of it and leaving the door closed? How would you now choose to open the door for other people that you know are going through the same thing? So the hardest, I think one of the most difficult things as a special needs family is the isolation. Okay. So it's that idea that, um, yes, you might know other people that have kids that have the same diagnosis as your kids, but their experience is different. And so even within your own communities, there is still isolation. So what I did, what I learned, learned to do was I literally opened my front door and I never said no to anything. So if you wanted to come, I couldn't go to your house because you had seven steps going up into your townhouse and Courtney was in a wheelchair and bless it after about 10, the age of 10 and 125 pounds, love you, but no, you know, (laughs) and walk seven steps up into your, so I was like, just come here, bring your kids here. I would have laundry out. Courtney would have a seizure in the middle of the room. All the kids would come. And they'd be like, is she okay? And I would just explain what was happening. So we actually were teaching them how to not freak out, how to be present and be available, ask all the questions. Miss Mary, why is the tube there? Can I help? They always wanted to help feed her. They always wanted to use her wheelchair. It's a cool party trick, isn't it? It Like, hey, who wants to feed my kid? Anybody want to give her water? They They want to feed her. They want to give her water. They want to get on the wheelchair. And they want to go ripping down, you know, the street in the wheelchair. And we allowed that with Jonathan to a certain extent until the time that he actually let go of her. And she went down and, you know, she almost like tumbled in the wheelchair and he caught her in time. And that was the last of that. But, you know, we have those, those minor details, moments, right? But um, you invite them in. You can't be afraid because that's what keeps them from your home. That's what keeps them from your life. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to express their empathy. They don't want to take on your life. It's too much for them. Your children are dying. Nobody wants to walk that. It's a lot. And so you have to give them permission to come in and to go out. You have to give them permission to show up for that cup of coffee and you talk what you talk about and, and you, you feed them while they're there. And, and, you know, they ask all the awkward questions and you give them all the awkward answers. And, you know, here's my 22 year old daughter. I have to put on a mat to change her adult diaper. You know, could you hold the blanket over her to give her some dignity while I do this? And, Oh, of course, Mary, of course. And then they send you an email two hours later. Like, I don't know how you do that. That was too much for me. You wait for that email, right? You're yeah. like, okay, here it comes. Oh. Here it comes. That was too much for me. Um, I'd like to send you a meal service. That's what I can do. Okay, bless it. Bring those meals on, sister. That's what you want to do. I can eat macaroni and cheese, like five cheese macaroni with bacon and whatever. Okay, great. <laughs> Don't forget the baked goods. Don't forget the baked goods. Exactly. You know, and, and we also entered into life at our church. Courtney went to mass with us. 
we had many a mass where there was an ambulance waiting outside because she would go into a seizure and we got to the point where the front desk knew just please don't do lights and sirens. They'll be waiting for you. No lights and sirens. <laughs> <laughs> the Eucharist is going on. You know, the Eucharistic <laughs> prayer is in let's, let's remove ourselves. Let's just go. We always sat on the left side by the emergency exit. Always. Oh, what a beautiful thing that the door was open at church for you guys. Oh, absolutely. That it was just. And we here's the thing. We didn't let them close it. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, I struggle with people not understanding or having that feeling because it's easy to fall into that. Nobody gets it. I'm really lonely, but I really struggle with, you need to consciously hold yourself accountable to allow the door to stay open too. And I think, you know, I'm just, I sift through so much of that and I haven't come to a conclusion of how to do that every day, but making a conscious choice of there are people waiting and yeah, they're not going to understand, but it's not really, like you said, their job to understand. It's my job to help that. Mother Teresa used to say on the idea of charity, which is what this is all about. This is all about charitable action from one human to another human. She used to say, there always has to be somebody on the receiving end. Somebody has to be humble enough to receive the charity. And that is our job as special needs moms. We not only have to be strong enough to take care of all of the things, the DNRs, the tube feedings, the emergency room visits, the um, relatives that don't After appointment, after appointment, after therapy, after appointment, after mom's therapy. One of my proudest moments I have to share, you guys will totally understand this. I walked into the pulmonologist's office and it was my first visit with a new pulmonologist because she, she was now, she was like 13. So she was in puberty. So you had to change from the, from the pediatric, young pediatric to the older pediatric, whatever. Anyways, new pulmonologist. I walked in with my binder of love. I had every single specialist. I had their name. I had their lead nurse in their office. I had their contact. I had the most recent written report. You did not want to see me come into a medical office because I was going to tell you what was wrong with how you were working it, how you were taking care of your patients. I would do it through humor and through love. But literally, Courtney's pediatric neurologist, when she passed away, had me come into his office and talk to his entire staff on how to handle long-term care for these families who just wanted to be normal. We want our kids to have the fire truck birthday when they're five. But if you turn on the siren with my autistic child, um, they're going to run out in the street and think they're dead because of the noise. And they can't do that, right? So they make these adjustments. So I had my binder. I walked in and I presented my binder and he was just, his eyes were really big. He's like, wow, (laughs) our filing system doesn't even look like this. And I'm like, of course not. (laughs) I've been up for two weeks straight preparing for this appointment. <laughs> and I just want you to see my Excel spreadsheet and how beautiful that is. And I hate Excel spreadsheets. And then he went to physically examine my daughter. And this was the best part. He goes to her G-tube. And Courtney had very, very sensitive skin, like I do. And you could you could hold you like grab her if she was gonna fall or turn over, and it would bruise, like she would bruise, like very sensitive skin. Her G-tube was perfection. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, Mary, you and I are like the same people because I, people say the same thing. They're like, how do you keep it? I was like, oh, there's a tiny, tiny little bit of red right there. That's not normal. They're like, that's what you're concerned about? I'm like, perfection. Oh, yeah, Perfection. <laughs> like I had the silver iodine when she get the little, little, little skin tag. <laughs> I had the, the calmaceptine. They still make oh, that it. stuff is gold. Oh, that stuff oh, is, that is yes. Like, oh my gosh. That was a lifesaver. We came into that probably when she was five and I'm mm-hmm. like, the angels were singing and I, <laughs> they, I had an entire basket of it. That stuff they used for my grandmother when she was dying for her bed sores. Mm-hmm. And when she was dying, everybody's like asking for stuff. And I was like, can I have the calmoceptin and the nebulizer? Like, could, you know, could, could I take that stuff? Yeah. And you guys can sort out the jewelry. <laughs> I don't care about the sapphire ring. I want the nebulizer. Thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, but it's a different, that goal to us, right? Because our lives are lived in a different lane. And so I remember him looking at that and I would always put a little cotton, no polyester. It had to be cotton little, um, uh, gauze pad that was cut. You yeah. know, I cut them myself because the ones they sent from the company always had that plastic lining on them and that was unacceptable. So CVS and I were on a very, you know, and Amazon and I were on a very close and personal relationship with the cotton. And so, um, and I would have it there and he, he just slipped it out and he's like, I have never <laughs> seen this. He actually took a picture with his phone. <laughs> like to frame it. I could, I could like, I could get right next to it with a smile and go, you know, I mean, I was so proud. And he's like, and then he looked at her wheelchair spotless, like a brand new freaking car spotless. And he's like, Mary, you have to understand when you see that you see that they are loved and that they are cared for. And then I met people where those things weren't in play, but they love their children too. And they cared for them as best they could. So even in the special needs community, we can get into this thing of comparison where we feel like one is better than the other. And we have to not ever do that because everybody's journey is uniquely their own. And if I've learned- Some people just have runny G-tubes. Amen. They have runny G-tubes. Not in my house. Not in my house. (laughs) And, And their kids are always in a sweatsuit. God bless it. Okay, great. I'm a fashionista. No, my girl was going to the gap and we were doing the things, you know, we do too in our house. But here's my question. Cause now I have Benji who my kids are wheelchair, you know, just like Courtney boys don't have as many good, comfortable options for no. pants. Really? Like, no, they don't. I, it's either denim or, or cargo sweat. pants or sweatpants. Girls have leggings, they have cute shorts, they have what comfy things do I put Benji in? Like what Um, what am I supposed to do with it? How to do with sew. I know that's crazy. You're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I gotta learn how to sew now. I actually like to sew, and I did it before I had Courtney. So um, but Courtney, um, when we would go to the gap, I would look and see what was there. And then I would go to this uh to the fabric store because the gap didn't have the um the the elastic waist yep. to help her, especially when her tummy was kind of um full with, with air when yeah. she was having trouble on a specific day with her G tube. And I would I would just make a simple pair of pants, but the color was on trend and the blouse mm-hmm. was the same and the and I don't know, it was just something about it that made me proud. And it's a moment where you're doing a normal mom thing, yep. like making your kid clothes, like 
You know, yeah. it's something where you're but not doing medical. Matter if she had a disability or not. It was mm-hmm. one, of my, one of my best memories. We were outside the, I was in the gap because they had a new line of denim, uh, kids denim that had a, a elastic on the back, on the uh, waistband. And I was like, oh, sister, five pairs of those. Because, you know, you pee through three pairs in a day. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, mercy how we provide oh. all the pee. You know, Courtney would be, by the time she passed away, when she had an adult diaper on, she would have three poise pads in the diaper. So that when she peed, we might have a shot within an hour of not flooding the world. <laughs> Did you have tuck pads everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere. I probably should have been the old school Italian grandmas with a plastic couch. That probably would have been better, but I didn't. I had the chuck pads and everything. But no, I remember we're in the mall and and Jonathan was like, Mom, I'm not standing here in the girl section of the gap for one more second. Like, I'm gonna take her for a walk. So Courtney loved rap music. Loved it. <laughs> Two things she loved. She loved the Beatrix Potter, the English woman's voice reading on the books. Love that. Would totally giggle. And then she would bob her head back and forth with rap music. <laughs> I do love rap music. We really do need to find more Christian rappers because I'm telling you, it was, it was a challenge. So <laughs> Jonathan, he walks outside the gap with her. She's in her wheelchair. He starts walking. This rap song comes on and Courtney's like, ha, 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 you know, <laughs> Jonathan, big, big six foot two bearded white man starts rapping, rapping. because it's making his sister laugh. I walk outside the gap. There are people that are clapping to the beat. It was like a sideshow. And I'm going, what is happening here? This is my life. What you is know, that would have gone viral on YouTube had it been the day, like in the, in the time. Exactly. And I'm just looking at him and and Jonathan finishes and everybody claps. And this sweet little girl, she probably was four or five years old. And she came up to her mom. She was there and she was like, mama, what's wrong with her? And her mother, God bless her, said, nothing, sweetheart. She just has wheels for legs. Isn't that cool? And they went on with their shopping. And I wanted to run up to that mama and just thank you. Thank you for just meeting your child where they were, not coming to me and saying what's wrong and all of that in a public way when I don't know you, but honoring my daughter and what she looks like to your child. Mm-hmm. Like that was a beautiful, the whole that, rest thing was its own And it's thing. so rare. It's yeah. so rare. And that's just, that's beautiful. But see, that's the thing. We have to make it less rare. Mm-hmm. And how do we make it less rare? It's up to us. Mm-hmm. We have to not take it personally. When they, when they make that face, we have to not take it personally when they put their hand on your hand and they're like, oh, and you just want to, you know, like a here's bop it. Just the thing oh. too, having typical children, I watch my children having a special needs sister be curious about other kids that are different from their special needs sister. And I always say, do you guys have questions? And sometimes they'll say yes. And sometimes they're like, no, no, mom, no questions, you know, but we have to normalize that also. And I, I think that's taking ownership of like, how do we want to change this world for this community? Absolutely. I remember when Courtney was in her, she went to a special needs school. And so she was on the wheelchair hallway and then they had a profoundly autistic hallway, like two hallways over. Right. So in the school and Jonathan would go 
um, he would go once a month to volunteer. They always had sibling day to volunteer. So he would go and he'd come home and the first, they would, cause he was a big guy. They would put him on the autistic hallway, right? Because he could, when they had a runner, he could run, right? He would just keep pace with them on the, on the playground. He came home that day and he goes, mom, you know, it could be worse. Courtney could run away from you. And I'm like, <laughs> this is very true, Jonathan. Thank you so much for this clarification of our situation. Family dynamics. <laughs> yeah, Courtney couldn't run away. And mm-hmm. I remember he would come in, they would do the sibling day once a, once a year where all the siblings would come and they would have small groups and they, these guys would share with each other. Right. Like, and, and he was profoundly impacted by that. He would come home and he would say, we've got it good, mom. We're doing fine. We're doing just fine. This family's dealing with this or this sibling's dealing with this. And gosh, I can't even imagine how I do that. You know, and yet people look at us and be like, no way. They sent you that email two hours after they left. And they're mm-hmm. like, I can do this. And they send I you a casserole. There you go. Hot dish. <laughs> they call them in Minnesota. I love that mm-hmm. better. Sherry, I said, hey, I'm a hot dish. And he goes, you're a casserole in Minnesota? <laughs> Today I am, baby. Today I am. That's we have to wrap up soon, but I I have two questions for you. One is the question everybody gets, so you'll get that in a minute. But two, can you tell us about you are pre I just pre-ordered your book. It should arrive today. Actually, I think that's what's lighting my phone up is that Amazon is delivering it right now. But tell us about your books, where we can find them, and what people need to know. So I've written to be brave and the scared is available. Now it's also available on audible. If you want to hear me and Jerry read it, just um, do it. You guys do it. It's so good. So that's really the story of how Courtney Courtney's the main theme in that book. She kind of where we were and what happened in our relationships. And uh, as we carried her through those 22 years, my new book, be bold and the broken, how I learned my courage um, to, to have courage and purpose and mission um, in this life that we that we are called to live, that comes out March twelfth, and that's available for pre order now. So pre order is the best way to support an author. So get out there and do it. But that's all about me. That is sharing stories from my childhood and from my adulthood and how they relate and how I learned to be Mary, not Susan, not Diane, not Sharon, not Stacy, but Mary. And how I made some really hysterically funny and horrifically awful mistakes. But I, it's just my journey of coming into the woman God made me to be and the mission that he has placed me on this planet to do, which is to encourage other women, no matter their circumstance or season, to live a brave and bold life. And you can find me at MaryLennaBerg.com and on Instagram at MaryLennaBerg. Just do it all. Since Diane has fangirled and cried the whole time, Diane, can you ask her the question? Mary, what gives you hope? Oh, what gives me hope? I am a Christian, so therefore, I am an Easter people. We are an Easter people. Um, You cannot have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. You just can't. Life is going to be filled with suffering. It's going to be filled with hardship. But it's also going to be filled with great joy. And they walk hand in hand. So what gives me hope is the fact that this isn't the end. This is just the practice field. You know, this life is a practice field for an eternity that we get to spend with our creator. And uh, I have a child waiting for me. I have three children waiting for me and um, I can't wait to get there. And so what gives me hope is Easter Sunday gives me hope. 
Easter Sunday is what we all walk toward. And it's funny because we go through the Good Friday and the the holy waiting of Holy Saturday, that silence when we're begging God for answers and we want to know the whys. And he's just like, just wait, just wait. It's coming. Just wait. He's moving. Courtney's life was cyclical as all of ours are. And there was tremendous highs and tremendous lows. And the hope for me comes in being in the present moment. Because in this present moment is all you have. It's all you have. The past cannot be changed. The future is a gift that has not been given. You have today. So find your hope in today. If your child can smile at you, then rejoice. If your child is learning how to eat for the first time at the age of 15, then rejoice. If your child still has breath in their body and you get to hold them tonight as they go to sleep and they're at peace, rejoice because there's hope in a new day. And that's what Easter Sunday is to us. Thank you so much, Mary, for being here. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Diane, what do you think? Was it was it everything you dreamed of and more? It really was. I was. I felt so honored to be able to talk to her. It's just super genuine, and I felt like, you know, everybody that is listening to this, she is speaking directly to. I think that she puts that much time and energy and love into every person that she gets to speak in front of. So for that, I say thank you. And I just think that you and I are both Christian moms. And I think it was like every mom that shares their story on this podcast is a different perspective than we have heard from past moms and the way her faith just anchored her and got her through the dark nights and the hard days. It speaks to my soul right now because that's what we're going through. And I'm sure there are so many others who can feel comfort in her words. So I, Mary, thank you so much for being here. And I, you know, we are, we are brand new to this podcasting world. So somebody who has written two books being on our show, I'm just, I'm kind of giddy, you know, I know it was kind of cool. It's pretty spectacular. (laughs) Well, this is Susan. I am actually going to go start her book. Did you order her second one? I've ordered the second and it should be arriving any any minute now. Perfect. You're not going to be disappointed. And this is Diane and I am going to go outside because it is like 60 degrees in Minnesota. It is springtime. It, it won't be for long, but I'll take <laughs> it where I can get it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.